Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Welcome to the All Things Podcast. I am here today with best-selling author, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, to kickstart our time together today. And then during the second half of our show, I'm going to introduce you to Jody Harris, a contributor to the Redemption Press compilation. She writes for him, Stories of Resilient Faith. So to give a proper introduction, Dr. Sandra is an author, speaker, and board-certified internal medicine physician. She has an active medical practice in Alabama near the Birmingham area. She received her BS in biochemistry at the University of Georgia and graduated with honors from Meharry Medical Center in Nashville. She's been an adjunct faculty member at Baker College and Davenport University in Michigan, teaching courses on health, nutrition, and disease progression. Dr. Dalton Smith is a national and international media resource on the mind-body-spirit connection and a top 100 medical expert in good housekeeping doctor's secrets. She has been featured in many media outlets, including Women's Day, Red Book, First for Women, MSNBC, and Prevention. She is the author of Set Free to Live Free and Come Empty, which was the winner of the 2016 Golden Scroll Nonfiction Book of the Year Award and 2016 Illumination Award Gold Medalist. Her newest release, which is one of my all-time favorite books, I just have to say, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, which includes groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, and live your best life. She's also a contributor to our newest compilation, She Writes for Him. She has shared her tips on merging faith and medicine with over 16,000 healthcare professionals to encourage the current and next generation of doctors to treat the whole person. So you can learn more about her at ichoosemybestlife.com. Also, just a few little known facts about Sandra. She minored in dance in college, so I bet she knows how to boogie. She is currently training for her first full marathon and will be running it with her husband in celebration of their 20th wedding anniversary this year. That is so cool. She named her youngest son after her favorite book in the Bible and colorful birds tend to follow her on her prayer walks. I love that. Welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Sandra. Hi, Athena. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet it is a joy. So before we start talking about your book, and I'm, I just have to tell you, your book had such an impact on me being a type A. It was just what I needed when I needed it, and it just really spoke to me. So I want to just say, those of you that are listening, you are going to love this woman. She has some real insight that can really help us all. So, Sandra, since the focus of our podcast is Romans 8.28, where it says, Mm -hmm. we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, we would just love, before we jump into your book, to hear you kind of unpack your Romans 8.28 story with us. Well, my Romans 8.28 story really is 
I think the reason why there even is a book. Mm -hmm. I, um, when I think about that, I, I immediately think about that day when I came home with my two toddler sons and sat them in front of the TV. And on this particular day, I was coming home from work. I was exhausted. I was always exhausted at that season of my life. And I just recall sitting them in front of the TV and laying out on the floor and thinking, you know, God, if this is all I've been working for, you know, I, I feel like I had spent my entire life working to, to become a physician. And at that point, I was actively practicing, uh, you know, a thriving practice on the outside, looked extremely successful. <laughs> you know, all of the, all of the accolades that, that we kind of label with success. But my, as good as my life looked, is as bad as it felt. It felt horrible to live it. And I just in that moment really thought, God, if, if this is as good as it gets, I don't really want to be here anymore. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I couldn't see really a purpose or a point, um, especially considering, you know, in that moment, I felt like I don't have the energy to even try to get better. I don't have the energy to even attempt to do something different to heal myself or to help myself get to a better place. And I recall just laying out on that floor, you know, um, in my home, laying there on the hardwood and just looking up and having this, the peace of God surround me in that moment. And it was as if for the, for the very first time I had, I had stopped and I had actually allowed myself to intentionally be still before him. You know, the word says, be still and know that I am God. Well, you know, my mindset had always been that I'm a doer. You know, I'm a, I'm a type A, high intensity, high achiever type personality. And so I, I always really put my worth with my doing. And, and I had a very hard time being still. And what I feel is that, you know, as low as that moment felt to me, uh, that is the time when God really showed me how he works all things together for my, for our good. And specifically in that case with me, it was, if, had I not got to that point, I would have never looked into what is this I'm feeling? What is this weird sensation that I'm feeling on this floor? What is this thing called rest? And what does it look like? Because it, it's not what I have always thought it to be. It's not just sleep. Because I was getting plenty of sleep, but I still felt um, I, there was still a lot of unrest in my life. And so it, had it not been for that moment, there's so many things that have happened just in these past two years that would have never have happened. You know, um, over almost 100,000 people have taken my rest quiz. I get letters almost every day from wow. people that are saying, you know, I, I, you have no idea how making this one change. And these aren't things, you know, I didn't cure cancer. <laughs> these aren't things that are like, like they've never heard of. It's just they've never heard it in that context. So that they had a language to explain why they stop and why they do certain activities and why they need to be intentional to rest in certain ways. And so it's, it's, it's just amazing to see how God takes sometimes those moments that we wish we could, you know, forget about. I remember when I laid on that floor and I finally kind of got myself together a couple of years later, I recall thinking, I'm never going to tell anybody about this. It was the lowest point. I can't say that I had a, you know, I was going to commit suicide or had any kind of deep depressive thoughts like that. But I can honestly say I didn't want to be here anymore. Whatever that looked like, I, I couldn't see going forward anymore. And, you know, to, that's not a moment I ever wanted to share with anybody. But in sharing that, I feel like that, that, I, that God has used it to bring so much life to so many people. And that's the kind of thing that most people feel ashamed to share. And so they think they're the only one that feels that way. Yeah. And that's the, and I think, you know, really um, one of the types of rest is, is emotional rest. And that is what that looks like. It's getting to that point where your shame and your fears no longer keep you bound and you don't, uh, you don't associate your actions with who you are. They, they, are, they don't define you. 
Mm -hmm. So no matter what you've walked through, it doesn't, you're not allowing it to define you and you keep yourself in a place of the liberty and the freedom to be able to share it authentically. And from that, there's a lot of emotional healing and connectivity that happens in those moments. Absolutely. Oh, I love that, that God could take that lowest moment in your life and use it in such an impactful way. It amazes me every day, <laughs> every, every day that I, that I see kind of a door open or an opportunity that, you know, back when all of this was going on, I couldn't even wrap my head around something like some of the opportunities I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And so it, it really is each time something happens like that. Um, one of them was out of, out of nowhere, I received an invitation to do um, a TEDx talk. I didn't have to interview. Nobody asked me for my credentials. <laughs> I got an email from somebody through my contact page that said, we, you know, we Googled you and we're, we're doing this, this big thing on, you know, control, alt, delete, and your topic of rest we think would really fit in. And when I get invitations like that, to me, that is just all, all an example of God working all things together. Yeah. Totally. I love that. Okay. So if rest seems like a simple process, why then do so many people struggle with fatigue and insomnia? I think we've actually dumbed rest down to the point where many of us feel like it's ineffective. Um, I know myself when I initially started really looking into, you know, what is rest and how do I get more rest? I had this one concept of rest, you know, rest was the cessation of activity. It's when I stopped doing work. So that was my definition of rest. When I stop doing work, that's rest. But when you, when that's your definition, that means when I'm at my home doing laundry, well, you know, I'm not doing my normal work, or, or if I'm just lounging around, you know, watching Netflix, is that real rest? I mean, it, it was so vague that, I, that it really didn't have any meat to it. And I had no way of quantifying when I got it and when I didn't get it. And so when I started doing the research, you know, my normal personality and kind of how God put me together is that I have a tendency to like to dig deep into things. That's, I think that's why I... Uh, majored in biochemistry. I want to kind of get down to what what are the pieces in the big in the big puzzle. What's putting all of this stuff together? And when I started really breaking down just what is rest, that's when I started noticing that there are kind of these buckets of of our life or buckets of energy, so to speak, that we pour out of every day as we do different activities. And when I started looking at you know, in, even in my own life, you know, I have this, I have my emotions, I have my physical body, I have my spiritual life, all of these different buckets, some were being poured out on, out of more on a daily basis, simply because of the type of work I did. You know, as a physician, I was constantly having social interactions and dealing with people's emotions and their fears and their anxieties, um, having to creatively think of ways to, to describe how the body works to someone who may not have, uh, you know, a, more than a sixth grade education. So having to be innovative in how I describe things and, and help people understand what their conditions are. So I was pouring out of all of these buckets with creativity and, and relationships and and I never thought about how do I pour back into those buckets? Mm. So they just kept getting depleted every day, you know, each day, 40 hours plus a week, I was pouring, pouring, pouring. And so you can only pour so much till eventually you get to empty. And that's what happened on that floor. I got to empty. Wow. So, so then in your book, you describe seven types of rest. What are those? Yeah. Well, the seven types, I'll name them and then we can kind of dive in to okay. the ones that you're interested in. But the seven types are physical, mental, and spiritual. Those are the first three that most people are familiar with or at least have heard of. And then the four that are less known are emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Mm. So let's let's go with the emotional rest 
because I know, you know, gosh, with everything that's going on in the country and all the fear and everything that's going on, I, that's got to be depleting our emotion, our emotions. So how, yes, how do you do that? Yeah, well, with emotional rest, um, one thing to keep in mind, emotional rest and social rest really hang very closely together because emotional rest is, the, is uh, allowing yourself the rest that you find when you are able to be authentic and open about what you're feeling without that sense of kind of keeping your mask on and worrying about judgment. Um, when so many of us, when we interact with people, we have this kind of self-protective mechanism where we want to feel, we want to really put off the sense that we have it all together, mm. that we're not dealing with things, that, you know, we're, we're good. And you, we hear it a lot, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Mm. And sometimes people really aren't fine, but that's just kind of what we say to keep the conversation rolling. So with emotional rest is when you take off those masks and those, those, those kind of faults answers those I'm fine and really get truthful about where your feelings and your emotions are. I tell um, most people who, who deal with a lot of feelings of anxiety and depression, you know, are there people in your life where you feel like you can be truthful about where you're at? And many of them do not feel like there are people that they can have those type of relationships with. So uh, everyone really, just like Jesus, you know, had those, they, he had the multitude. He was with a lot of the time. For many of us, the multitude of social media were yeah. constantly engaging with people kind of in mass quantity. Um, and then he had the 12, which was kind of his inner circle. And then he had the three. And the three is that close group of people that you are able to truly reveal yourself. You know, that's when he was able to, to reveal himself and um, kind of show them who he was. Uh, with at the Mount of Transfiguration. So all of us need to have, we may not have three, but there needs to be someone in your life that you can be fully open with because that is part of the greatest ways of healing and keeping a, a, a healthy emotional uh, atmosphere in your life. Mm. And that's so important to have a safe person or two that you can be real with and you know, and someone that you know is not going to use it against you or um, go tell it to a bunch of other people, but someone who is going to encourage you and not, you know, shame you. Yes. And sometimes that's a therapist. You yeah. know, it's, it's great when it can be a friend or a relative or, you know, a, someone at your church. It's great when it can be those people. But, but let's be honest, sometimes you move away from home and there's, you know, you may not have any friends right there at that moment. You're still trying to grow those social relationships. So sometimes it may have to be a therapist. I found for many people, it was the doctor's appointment. They would come in and they would sit down and, you know, in my head, I'm running through what's the next lab and what's your heart rate and your blood pressure and your weight and all of this stuff. And they just needed someone to vent with. Right. That's what they needed. That's the healing they needed on that day. And it took me, you know, I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. It probably took me 10 years to really realize that about 50% of the people who walk in my office, most of their healing does not come from the medication. It comes from the time we spend discussing what the problem is mm -hmm. and having kind of the back and forth so that they can help self-diagnose themselves. Wow. I love that. And that's, you know, most people wouldn't expect that. They would think they're, you know, they're coming in to deal with a physical situation and it's, yeah. That's, it's interesting because it uh, I recall when I, um, about five years into medical practice, I recall one of my nurses who she, um, she'd been in practice for years. She'd probably been a nurse. I mean, she was much older than I was. So she'd been a nurse for probably already 20 years by the time I came into her life. And I recall her one day when I walked, when a, she came out with a patient and we were kind of getting ready to close up for the day. And she goes, I don't, I don't know if this is normal, but do you realize most patients when I go in after you are crying? <laughs> I and I was that. like, I was like, they're crying. <laughs> She's like, 
I, she's like, and it's not that they're sad. She's like, she's like, they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and, and when she said that, it was so bizarre because they never cried in front of me. But when mm-hmm. I left the room, they would be crying. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, one day I, I really got really disturbed by that because I thought, you know, what, what is that? <laughs> and it was so, it was so precious because my nurse practitioner working with me at the time, um, when, when I was kind of having this conversation, she goes, she goes, that's the presence of God that people yep. can't under that they can't put words to. Yep. They're like, she's like, you're men are, you're, you're teaching them, but in teaching them, you're showing a level of care, a God heart mm. that they aren't used to in medicine and it's overwhelming to them. So they just start right. crying. Yeah. And, and that was really powerful. I think that, that really gave me an idea of, um, just the power of God to work through us, even if we're not cognitively aware, you know, of necessarily what we're doing, but just being a vessel that's open to be used. Mm. Okay. So you use a lot of teaching stories in your book. Do, do you have mm-hmm. a favorite? Yeah, I would probably, well, I have lots of favorites, obviously. <laughs> I think I, every one of them is my favorite, I believe. But one that really, I think, sticks with me every time, and it's one of the first ones I told, it was about a young woman who had gotten into a car accident. Um, and I came into her path as she was healing in the ICU. And her situation was one in such that she was, always I mean, she was this busy executive and her only downtime she kind of allowed herself to zone out was in her commute between work and home which is the horrible time to zone out i mean mm-hmm. she's driving in an inner city you know bumper to bumper and you're going to zone out uh, not a good idea oh. so she ended up in a car accident with multiple injuries i mean extensive injuries and i recall just during her recovery phase right as she was about to be released she she was so so um thankful for the accident <laughs> it was a it was a bizarre kind of conversation because she was so thankful for the accident i recall a letter she gave to the nurses that stated you know i, I pray i never forget this time and the person that i was when i was in your presence and she shared about how just that forced rest you know, she was not someone who would have taken a rest necessarily, or, you know, a two week hospital vacation um, to allow herself to kind of get back on track. But that's what that time ended up being. It ended up being a time that her life got back on track. And she was able to get so much more healing than the physical, you know, wounds that she had, the injuries she had. It was a much deeper healing. Um, and I just love that story because I mean, how, how, is how rare is it really sometimes to go through something traumatic like that and to be able to look back and say, God, I thank you because yep. I wouldn't yep. have stopped and there's no telling where I would have ended up had I not stopped, but in your grace, you have brought me to a place where I can actually move forward and be stronger than how I entered. Boy, if that isn't a Romans eight twenty eight, <laughs> wow. Wow. So. You um, have a couple of examples of ways that we can rest in the middle of a busy workday. Yeah, so some of the things that I, well, let me say this, first of all, I have so many people ask me, well, does that mean I have to take a vacation <laughs> to get this rest? And absolutely not. You know, vacations are great, but I mean, if we're really honest, vacations are just, we do fun work away from home <laughs> you know mm-hmm. we don't we're we're so busy and active and doing stuff we're not necessarily allowing ourselves to be restored um we can rest on vacation but so many of us that's really not the focus and so at work you it's best if you can get to the point where you're living a lifestyle of rest mm-hmm. which means that you do it while you're working you do it while you're at home with the kids homeschooling <laughs> you do it wherever you're at and, and it's just a continual process some simple ways to do that is let's say if you're someone who works at a desk for long periods of time and you find that your legs get heavy, your feet start swelling, you know, you start having back aches and pains, your wrists are hurting, carpal tunnel starts acting up. All of these things kind of start hitting you while you're doing whatever work it is you're doing at your desk. Well, a simple process um, that science supports is something called 
body fluidity. It's basically not allowing your body to be in a static position for prolonged periods of time. So if you're working at the desk and you're, um, let's say, typing up something, you've been there for two hours, to make a point of getting standing up, maybe you'll go walk and get some water. Most of the world's uh, chronically dehydrated. Mm -hmm. uh, so taking small breaks throughout the day to kind of go and walk and stretch your legs and get the blood circulation moving. All of those are types of physical rest. With, we have active and passive physical rest, the passive being sleeping and nap, napping, active being things like stretching and um, yoga, uh, yoga and mild walking and any of that kind of stuff that gets your body moving. And so the active part of physical rest, you, want, you just want to make sure that you're keeping your circulatory system active and your lymphatics active. And then another thing to con to, that you can do during the daytime um, while you're at work is, is really being cognitive of your sensory rest uh, deficits. So many of us are chronically sensory overloaded. Mm -hmm. You know, the TV's going on, the computer bl blue lights, the fluorescent lights in our buildings, uh, the sounds. If you work in an office space with that kind of background hum with people talking and phones ringing and, you know, all of that noise, all of those things keep our, our systems, our nervous systems chronically aggravated and kind of irritated. And so for many people, they're not aware of how the sensory overload that they experience every day is affecting their mood and their immune system and their general well-being. And so being aware of that, may um, some ways you can help fix it would be, let's say if you're in an office and there's some, um, a window where some natural light can come in to turn off the overhead fluorescence for in the morning time, maybe when the sun's beaming through, so that you can let, let the natural light actually light your workspace and prevent some of that excess of toxicity. Um, another one would be to have some very definite times that you are going to turn off your electronics. So if your workday ends at five, you know, don't spend from five to 10 when you go to bed still on your home electronics right, doing right. you know all the things trying to you know check facebook and twitter and all of that to have some downtime where your senses can be kind of washed out and get back to a, a, a level of calm really to get an appreciation back to just darkness and silence um, being able to turn off the radio in the in the car on the drive home sometimes or um, if it, nobody's watching the tv don't have it just playing in the background Right, right. That's good. So, okay, as we're starting to wrap this up, um, now I want to, let's make sure we give the address for your rest quiz. If people want to go and take that quiz, what's the domain name for that? Yes, it's uh, restquiz.com. Very simple. I go. will say it is, um, is an intensive quiz so don't expect to answer three questions and get a reply back it is like about five minutes of your time and what i what i tell people is this you know if you are chronically tired if you're going to bed at night and you're waking up the next day still tired it's likely not just a sleep deficit that you have you also likely have a rest deficit and what the quiz does is it helps you determine which of the seven types of rest you're most efficient in so that instead of trying to just get all of them, which you need all of them, but some of them you're already getting plenty of. Right. This lets you see what are the ones that I'm really not getting the amount I need to be at my best. So you can focus your attention on getting the specific type of rest that you need. Mm. All right, restquiz.com. Okay, so before we wrap up, can you share just a couple of tools or tips that will just help our listeners focus in on the ways God, even if we can't see it, is working all things together for good? Yes. Well, one of the key ways I would say is reflection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, that I really love about when you, when you take time to stop and just to spend time in God's presence. Um, when you do that, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on who God is in your life and what he's already done in the past. I think it's very easy to get into a situation where you really 
I sometimes forget how good he is because we're all, we're focusing more on the problem and we're not looking at what he's already done in the past. Mm, That's good. That's good. So that reflective time where you're remembering all those times that he has worked all things together for good in the past. Yes. And then the, the second tip that I would recommend as far as helping, helping to, to see when God is, when you can't see God or can't feel God, or you, you can't see him working it out in the moment um, that you're having to trust. Um, the second tip would be to, to um, I guess the best way I could put it would be this, because this, this was my own situation. Um, I had a very hard time with trusting God is I think is the reason why it took me so long to rest. And so it was hard to see God working things out because I didn't trust that things would work out. And so one thing that I had to do was continually remind myself of, of who, of kind of who God says he is in the word. And so I would spend days meditating on a specific characteristic of God. And so I would, I would, meditate on his faithfulness and that that's what i would repeat to myself all day long um regardless of if i felt like things were seemed faithful to me in the moment i would continuously say god is faithful god is faithful if i didn't feel like whatever was happening to me was lovely i may repeat god is love Mm -hmm. and i would stay in that that repetitive kind of conversation with myself declaring and decreeing who god is even though I may not be feeling kind of that part of his character in the moment. And I feel what it did for me is it helped me to kind of take my feelings and put them, not ignore them, but to kind of set them aside because they weren't lining up with the word of God Mm. and to focus on the word and to have my words line up with the word of God, even if I couldn't get my feelings to line up at the moment. Oh, that's good. Repeat that last, that last little bit was so good. That last part, well, it's just a bit, for me, I needed to make sure that when, when what I was feeling wasn't lining up with the word of God, that I would pick a characteristic of God, a truth of who he is, and I would repeat that Hmm. so that even when I couldn't get my feelings to line up with what the truth of the word of God says, I could get my words to line up. So I would, out of my mouth, say those things, speak it as though it were, and and allow my feelings to come into alignment um, through the use of my own words and declarations. Amen. Thanking him for who he is, even when we don't feel that characteristic in our life at the moment. That happens so often, <laughs> you know, yes. there's so many times that happens. Yes. And like I said, I had such, such a hard time in my early faith walk, trusting God. And so, you know, it's hard to rest if you don't trust God. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to hold on and make, you know, make every blessing come out of the work of your own hand and sweat of your own brow. So, so that was one of the, the very first things that really helped me was just kind of really getting my words mm. aligned with what the word of God says. Amen. Well, thank you, Sandra, for being with us today. It has been an absolute delight. If uh, I, I choose my bestlife.com as your website, uh, where if people want to catch you on social media, where are you most active? I am most active on Facebook. Um, that's probably my favorite platform because I can actually interact a lot more with you there. I'm also active on Twitter and Instagram. Perfect. Well, God bless your ministry. I'm just so excited for everything God is doing, all the doors he continues to open for you. So just God bless you as you continue to, you know, just allow him to continue using all things together for good in your life. Oh, thank you, Athena. It's been a pleasure. Amen. Well, hey, before we move on to my next conversation, I want to take a moment to declare Psalm 91 over all of us. It would be so easy to get sucked into the panic that is raging over the coronavirus. So I want to provide a tool for you to use that will help you remember God's promise. 
I'm going to include a copy of Psalm 91 in first person in the show notes so you can print it out. And I would really encourage you to pray it out loud both morning and evening. Okay, so here we go. Because we live in the shelter of the Most High, we find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This we declare about the Lord. He is our refuge, our place of safety. He is our God, and we trust Him. For He will rescue us from every trap and protect us from deadly disease. He will cover us with His feathers. He will shelter us with His wings. His faithful promises are our armor and protection. We will not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly in the day. We will not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at our side, though ten thousand are dying around us, these evils will not touch us, because we make the Lord our refuge because we make the Most High our shelter. No evil will conquer us, no plague will come near our home, for He will order His angels to protect us wherever we go. They will hold us up with their hands, so we won't even hurt our foot upon a stone. We will trample upon lions and cobras, we will crush fierce lions and serpents under our feet. The Lord says, He will rescue us because we love Him. He will protect us because we trust in His name. When we call on Him, He will answer. He will be with us in trouble. He will rescue us and honor us. He will reward us with long life and give us His salvation. Well, welcome back to the second half of today's All Things Podcast. I am here today with Jody Harris, a contributor to the Redemption Press release. She writes for him. Jody, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. So as a proper introduction, Jody Harris is a Bible teacher, speaker, writer, pastor's wife, and a cool boy mom to three who is in passionate pursuit of Jesus and living a better story. She desires to move women into a deeper relationship with Jesus and inspire them to use their gifts and lives fully for God. Jody believes in being authentic and real about life and its struggles, and that's the key to transformation, healing, and true community in Christ to live the adventurous story he has imagined for each of us. Now, while she's queen of her boy castle, she can't for one more moment talk about video games and the reasons we put the toilet seat down and flush. Queens should have their own bathrooms, which is why she loves to mentor young women who smell way better and laugh at all her jokes. Jody has degrees in Bible, English, and education, She is contributing author to the books, Bloom Where You're Planted, Stories of Women in Church Planning, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and our She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith. So you can visit her at justjodyharris.com, where she writes honest thoughts about life and struggles, scripture, and the importance of coffee creamer. And girl, I'm with you on a number of points here. (laughs) Yeah, but I want to share a few little known facts just because I love getting the little inside scoop on my guests. Uh, Uh, Jody is a number four on the Enneagram, the individualist, the romantic. She got engaged at, oh, get this, at Disneyland (laughs) at Club 33, where Mickey Mouse brought the ring out on a silver platter. Is that not cool? Oh my goodness. If she was stranded on a deserted island, she would take peanut butter and chocolate. Yes. Oh, yeah. She traveled to Russia in January 2018 and loved it. Yes. And her parents started a church in their living room in 1972. 
And following suit in 2001, she and her husband, Jeff, planted a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I just, um, I'm just, I can already tell I'm going to just thoroughly enjoy our time together. <laughs> so Jody, before we talk specifically about your chapter in She Writes for Him, uh-huh. I would love for our listeners to hear one of the many Romans 8.28 stories in your life. Okay. Yes. I, I love how we talked about there being many and just how God is constantly working things together for our good that in the moment when we're going through things, it doesn't always look like that. And most of the time it doesn't look like that. But I, in my twenties, twenties, being in my twenties was not what I expected at all. I think I thought it was going to be a lot more fun and entertaining, but uh, for me, my twenties was very difficult. Um, the year that I got married, um, three of my grandparents passed away. And then my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor and he mm-hmm. died within 13 months. Um, I was now a pastor's wife. I had started a new job teaching and I was completely stressed out by trying to manage junior hires in a classroom. That was crazy for me. And just being newly married in general was kind of a shock to realize what it's like to live with a boy. And so (laughs) there were all these struggles. And I just remember feeling really alone that in the church, I just, I didn't really have any older women in my life that were walking with me and mentoring me and, and saying things like, oh, that's completely normal. So I think I thought my entire journey was just, um, well, it was painful for sure. And I just felt really alone. Mm-hmm. And so of all of the tragedy and it just difficult situations that I went through, I remember during that season, how hard it was to be alone. And then as I've grown through those seasons, I have really realized that I never want to see someone in their twenties ever have to go through those kinds of hard things alone and never feel like they're the only one. And so what I feel like God has done with that really difficult season of several years in my twenties is he's taken that and used it so that I now have a passion to mentor women in their twenties and walk with them and do life with them and not only do life with them and, and help them and counsel them. I'm amazed at how much they teach me. I mean, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the relationship goes the other way um, as well. And so I loved doing that. And then I also just love speaking to older women and really pouring into them and, and equipping them to, to mentor the younger generation and say, Hey, it's about, you know, the church is about this intergenerational piece. And sometimes we kind of go to our own corners and think, ah, no, the other group doesn't want anything to do with me. We don't understand each other. And it's like, no, no, we, we really need each other to do this thing called life. So mm-hmm. I just believe that God has shown me, ugh, in ways that I never could have imagined, um, working with younger women, um, just having gone through that difficult season in my 20s. Well, and it sounds to me, one of the ways he worked good out of that was he allowed then you to have a ministry where you're providing to younger women what you wished you had, but didn't. Yes, 100%. Yes, Mm. exactly. And I feel like he does that often, where he shows us he's the God of comfort that when we are in situations that are troubling, he brings alongside people to help comfort us. And because we've gone through it, we now can empathize with someone else going through it and be a comfort to them. So absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And that is so true with all of our struggles, with all of the pain that, that really is the thing that makes the pain worth us going through it is that He's going to comfort us. And with that, we're going to be able to comfort others. And it, it gives purpose to the pain. It does. A hundred percent. Yes. Suffering has so much purpose that I think sometimes we shy away from and think, oh, I'm in trouble. God doesn't like me. It's like, no, he's transforming us into Christ likeness. He is making us more like his son through suffering. And if we would, I hate to say learn to lean in and if, oh, we would just lean in because it's hard. I don't want to lean into suffering, but if I would allow and surrender more to it and, and trust the process, mm. but, oh, that's so, so hard. <laughs> it's so hard, but you know, suffering gets a bad rap in Christianity yeah. when it's the one thing that really seems to refine us. I mean, being on the mountaintop doesn't really do a whole lot for us spiritually, it seems like. Yeah. Right. As, as much as the valley tends to. Yes, <laughs> like yes. the valley makes the mountaintops what they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. Okay. 
So the She Writes for Him, I want to give a little bit of an introduction to so so our listeners understand what what the context is here of what you are part of. Um, She Writes for Him Stories of Resilient Faith is written by brave women who are boldly venturing out to tell their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame. And these resilient women have found that God's steadfast love can be trusted in the midst of difficult and tragic circumstances. Yes. So Jody, in your chapter on depression, mm-hmm. you talk about your time in the mental hospital and how God showed you what the church was supposed to be like. Uh, unpack that for us a little bit. Yes. Uh, it completely caught me off guard in the experience of it all. Um, having been hospitalized was just kind of a shaming experience for me as a Christian and as a pastor's wife, I thought there's no way I can show my face ever again on the outside world. And just the feeling of that the church was going to shun me perhaps because of that or judge me, um, because I'd gone through that experience. And yet, um, my husband and I had planted the church, I think about two years before that had happened. And so I had struggled so much with that church plant and understanding my role. But once I sat in a room with other people, here's the thing, you can't show up to a mental hospital (laughs) and be, um, in the room and say, I'm fine. (laughs) I got it. You can in church, right? Yeah. I got it together. No reason. You know, I'm here. I mean, obviously everyone in the room has something that is not good. You're, you're, you know, you're locked up. And so, uh, that's as you're sitting there with these people, it's just the sheer honesty of the confession of, we all have real things happening. And I don't know what it is about, about that confession, except I do know that James 5, 16 says, confess Mm -hmm. your sins will be healed. And there's something about exposing that stuff in your life, those hurts, those hangups, whatever they are, um, to other people, it, it somehow frees you. And not only is there a freeing sense of being able to confess to these other people, but watching as all of these people with their different issues come around each other, come alongside each other, be completely completely accepting of each other because you can't judge each other. Y'all know you got stuff and just being able to see we're sitting there and I'm just realizing, and I remember on the last day of the program, just going, you guys, I I just, I totally know why, you know, this is what the church is supposed to look like. You know, they're looking at me like I'm crazy, except I am crazy because I'm there, but (laughs) (laughs) realizing that we're supposed to be able to accept each other, hear each other's stories, walk alongside each other in a totally accepting place where we don't have to fake fine. We don't have to act like I have the joy of the Lord. Therefore I should never struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just such an encouraging space um, to be that God actually did take, you know, what Genesis 50, 20 says, you know, as far as what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good and the saving of many lives. And just that concept of he uses those things so that we can go out and then free other people from their, their areas of, of weakness where they think I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, but go to them and, and say, Hey, look, I struggle with this. And it, there's just a collective sigh when people go, oh, I am so glad that I'm not the only one. So I think it just really taught me how to be real and to be um, authentic with people in church, especially as a pastor's wife who Mm -hmm. are going, oh, she's supposed to look this way or that way. And over and over again, people just say, oh, you're so real. You're so real. It's like, well, I had an experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) that wasn't fun, but it helped refine me into somebody who I hope is more authentic and understanding and loving. And that's so important in the church because the church has turned into, in so many cases, this judgy, uh, not safe, uh, well, if you just had more faith or what, what's your sin? Why are you struggling? You know, that uh, it, it really pushes people away. And forces them to isolate, which is exactly what the enemy wants, instead of allowing them to come into a safe place and be honest about how they're doing so that it's that when we walk in the light as he is in the light, Mm -hmm. that's, we need to, we need that and Mm -hmm. we have work to do. So it sounds to me like God is using you to set that standard of being transparent, being real, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even as the pastor's wife. I know I'm a pastor's wife too. And that boy, cause people can use that against you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And that's a scary thing sometimes. Yes, yes, exactly. So as a mom raising three pastor's kids (laughs) who have watched you struggle with anxiety and depression, how do you talk with them about it and walk them through it? Yes, that is another gift from God. Um, Because I have learned that lesson of being real and being authentic, I have taken that to my children. My children are all different ages. And when it happened, my two older boys were young. They were like two and four. But it's been an ongoing thing that I've struggled and had to continue to work on with my anxiety and depression since I was hospitalized. And so now they're 21, 19, and 11. And I think as I go through seasons where maybe depression starts to kind of, you know, get an edge in there or whatever, I am able to be honest with them at the different levels of maturity. Obviously, how I talk with my 11-year-old is different than my 21-year-old, but just making sure my the communication lines are open and letting them know what I'm going through and how I'm dealing with it. And really, it's an opportunity to show them how I'm relying on God and trusting God, and it's an opportunity to show them how I'm walking with him through difficult seasons. And not only that, um, the two younger guys struggle with their own anxiety and their own um, mental health issues. And I just never would have realized that my experience now is, is, is being used to help them with um, accommodations, to help them with behaviors and practices that they can use in their own life. And how do we pray through this and how do we work through this? And so it's amazing the things you struggle with, their gifts. God then yeah. uses them to help your children. And I love my kids so much. And, and so... <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We've just been a really blessed family through pain. Pain has caused the gifts. And not, and not wearing a mask, being real about it. That's right. Because that's probably what the younger generation dislikes about the church is the hypocrisy and, and not seeing that authenticity. So when you model that, it just, it's just, it speaks volumes. Yes. Yes. So in the book, you actually have two chapters in our She Writes for Him book, and you wrote a chapter about how close friends and even some staff and elders at your church betrayed you and then how God walked you through. So many people suffer from church hurt, and let me tell you, (laughs) that's my story, and and they blame God. So how would you encourage others who've been hurt by people in the church? Yes. Oh, this is such a huge one. I, yeah, as you probably too, too, so many stories of people who've been so wounded and they end up turning away from God in the middle of that, which is heartbreaking. And, and so I know that what I'm learning is first and foremost, we are not each other's enemy. We're not each other's enemy, but what we've done is we've created this us against them in the church, which is mind blowing, except then I think, well, our real enemy, no wonder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just that Ephesians 6 is all about how our, you know, we aren't each other's enemy. It's against, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against, yep. you know, the evil forces in the dark world. It's the spiritual realms, the evil. He's our true enemy. And if, if we could kind of align with each other and walk together and uh, gosh, that's part of it is just remembering that even when we are hurting, and even when we've been hurt by people, I, we have to remind ourselves that person is not my enemy. Yeah. It's the enemy using them as a tool. Exactly. And that, that's something to remember. But then also, I, Matthew 5, I think it's verse 43 or 44 in the message, talks about how when we are treated badly, um, for whatever reason, um, let your enemy bring out the best in you and not mm. the worst. And so many times I try to think, okay, so what does it look like the best in me? Well, that would be the fruit of the spirit. So when I'm wounded, when, when I am in a situation where people are gossiping and slandering and, and saying lies and causing discord, that's the worst that the enemy can bring out in us. The best is the fruit of the spirit. Am I acting in love? Will I act in joy, peace, all of those things? And so when we're in the pressure cooker, what comes out, mm-hmm. you know, your dissension, does your fear, does your, you know, does your gossip come out or is it love and peace and joy and kindness to one another when you feel hurt by them? Um, so, yeah, I think I just would want people to know when you're hurt, a lot of times that person probably didn't mean it <laughs> yeah. go to them. 
and, and try to work it out and try to um, reconcile with that person. What we found in our circumstances, people didn't want to come to the table. They didn't want to reconcile with us. They wanted, to, they chose to walk away hurt and mad. And, and we had to let that go and realize sometimes people are not ready. They're, mm -hmm. you know, you have to love them and accept that when they're ready to heal those wounds, they'll come back and we've got to be careful. Don't take that into our hearts. Don't be bitter, but it is hard. I mean, that brought out a lot of depression in me, a lot more anxiety, a lot more opportunity to seek the Lord, to get on my face and just cry out to him through those seasons. It was rough mm. uh, for sure. And, you know, there's varying degrees of church hurt and some are extreme, like, you know, sure. you, you and I have kind of experienced some extreme and others, you know, could just be a look or, you know, sure. a, a word that just really rubs you wrong and you feel hurt and offended. And, but yeah. boy, don't go to bed angry because all you do is open the door for the enemy to come on, come right yep. on in. That's right. Yep. So <laughs> that is, that's powerful. So, okay. As we kind of wrap this up, I would love, I just, I just love your heart for truth and, and just for modeling healthy Christianity. And I would just love for you to share a few tips or tools to just help our listeners really zero in on, you know, the truth that God is good. Sure, sure. Um, I would say one thing that I have learned over the past several years um, is from Ann Voskamp when she writes mm. on a thousand gifts, just that whole concept of, of the thousand gifts and being looking, looking out for things that God is doing in your life. And so I have found the practice of gratitude, which not in this generic sense, <laughs> but more specifically when I'm in a moment and I find myself spinning, I find myself anxious. I find myself troubled or angry or any of those emotions that are just negative. I take a minute to stop and sit and just be, okay, God, I, uh, this is painful. And I walk through it all and I lay it out there and I try to think of things that I can be thankful for in the moment. So for example, we're all kind of up in arms and, and nervous and not sure what this virus is going to be about in the next week, in the next month, everything is turning. And I just keep thinking to myself, okay, as, as horrible as this could be, or, you know, I don't want to get anxious, Lord, help me sit with you. What do you want to reveal to me? And it's just, thank you, God, that my family's going to be able to spend some time together. And maybe there's going to be something amazing that comes from our time together that we wouldn't have had if we weren't all home from school and home from work and that type of thing. And, and just trying to take those moments in life and, and see what good can come out of it, writing down those gratitudes of, God, how are you working today? What are you showing me? Um, that would be one thing. And then the other would be with suffering, just remembering that it's actually having that purpose, that there is transformation happening in our lives, that we are becoming more Christ-like. Um, as an English teacher, I love that whole concept of story, that when the story gets good, the page turner of the book is the conflict, right? When we're all going, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Oh my goodness, they're in so much pain or it's getting really good. And oh, what's going to happen? And so that like, it's hard to imagine that the suffering and the pain, and you're like, I can't take it anymore, is the page turner in my life. Like, what? That's the page turner? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And so I just try to remember that God is using that to refine us and that, that the, the hardest parts are actually going to be the best parts of our story. Um, yeah. And my phrase is just get real to heal, get mm -hmm. real to heal. And so I just, that's James 5, 16. And we might have to go first. It might be scary, but we need to be the ones modeling, hey, I'm not okay today. And here's what's going on. And will you pray for me? Amen. I mean, David was pretty brave about saying he wasn't okay, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, why Why would we be any different? And exactly. It's, yeah, it's it is a it's a it's an act of humility and and humbling ourselves enough to be able to say we ain't got it all together, right. and and I just have I mean I can't tell you how many times that's been a conversation with authors that, you know, if you're gonna write your story, you need to be willing to be vulnerable and talk about the struggles and talk mm -hmm. about how God met you in that place because that's what people resonate with. They don't resonate with all your celebrations and your successes. They resonate with your pain. That's right. and yeah. So that's, that's really good. Well, okay. If people want to find you online, if they want to connect with you, 
What's the best way to do that? Um, if you do go to my website, which is just jodyharris.com, um, there is a place there that you can contact me and you can email me through that website. As far as social media, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Jody Harris, <laughs> Instagram is just Jody Harris. Perfect. And it's J-O-D-I, right? Correct. Correct. All right. Well, girl, thank you so much for spending time with me today. It has just been a delight. Thank you so much, Athena. I really loved our time together. Amen. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today and I'll see you next week.